All right, having said all that, let's turn to the text uh, and hear again from the book of Hosea. And let me, let me continue to remind you uh, that while God's got some hard things to say here, there's a context, and it, this is not where the book ends. If, if chapter 13 was where the book ends, it would be, it, it would be tough. There would be some very tough things. And so um, it doesn't end there. Remember chapter 14 is coming, but even better, remember that in the life of these people, Jesus is coming. And for us, he's coming again. And don't ever forget that. It's easy sometimes to kind of lose that in the, um, in, in, in the just hail of life and just this all that goes on and all that assails us and all that distracts us. It's easy to forget how the story is intended to end, how the story has gone so far. Amen? All right, so I have a question for you, as I always do, uh, and uh, I think it's a great question that uh, you, you should take some time to ponder. In fact, it's a question you shouldn't move on from. It's a, it's a question you should regularly ask, and I want to say this. The younger you ask the question and begin to think about it, um, I think the greater the impact it can truly have upon your life, right? So here's the question. What kind of life are you cultivating Right? Everything we do is cultivating something. It's turning us into something. Everything we expose ourselves, there is absolutely nothing that is neutral. We are being shaped by everything. Now, I'm going to confess something to you, and if you think less of me after what I'm about to tell you, let me just tell you, it's way worse than you think. My wife can always tell, but, and let me put that on pause. I need to tell you some backstory. Um, I grew up in, uh, in, on the south side of Atlanta in East Point, Georgia, and uh, I worked at a music store when uh, it was the death of country music as we knew it at the time. I think Keith Whitley had been killed or died, overdosed, and you had the, suddenly you had this void, which Garth Brooks would step into and sell like a billion records, but there's a gap there, okay? And in that gap, um, also hair metal, hard rock was on the wane as well until you have the incarnation of Guns N' Roses, Use Your Illusion 1 and 2, which blew everybody's minds. And, and, and then you had this horrible phenomena uh, called New Kids on the Block uh, and Millie Vanilli and that entire stretch. But in that, in that season, uh, there, this is gonna, you're going to think, what, what, why am I here this morning? Uh, uh, into that void stepped a, a, a group called N.W.A. With, a, with an album called Straight Outta Compton, right? And so I was the only white person that worked at this all-black music store and had to become a specialist in gangster rap, which, by the way, let me just say, I am not condoning. Uh, it's, it's horrible. It's misogynistic. It's about killing cops. It's terrible. Don't, do not. So are we clear on that? Like I, I, I want to make sure of that because I feel like that scene in Parks and Rec where Ron Swanson looks at his steak and he goes, that's a steak? And the guy's like, yeah, I mean, I don't know what to tell you. He goes, all right, give me all of the bacon and eggs. And the guy turns around and goes, whoa, 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 whoa. I, I don't think you heard me. I think what you heard was give me a lot of bacon and eggs. I said, all. So hear me say all that gangster rap promotes in its brokenness and fallenness is not good. It's just not. However, uh, there's a part of me that that is a historical piece of kind of my upbringing. And my wife can always tell when I come in the house and I've somehow wandered back into the backwaters of NWA, Ice Cube, Ghetto Boys, and the rest. 
She could always tell. It takes her about 30 seconds. I don't know how I come in, but it takes her about 30 seconds. So, so, but what I'm saying to you is there's nothing neutral. We are cultivating things and people can tell. That's the point of that, is people can tell when you've been swimming in certain cultural waters. You think you're better at covering up than you are, but you're not, right? Um, And so what we are cultivating is none of this stuff is neutral. And so, so we need to be, my point is to say, we need to be intentional about the kind of life that we are cultivating and intentional about thinking through, is this, what's, what's this shaping in me? It's one of the reasons that I departed from uh, social media uh, and, and, and decided, you know what, this is not helping me be a better person. I'm not saying all you need to depart from social media. I'm not saying that's for anybody else. But for me, I began to think less of humanity and love my neighbor less. Is that good for someone who claims Christ? To love their neighbor less. Now, you may say, well, that's because you're weak. Yes. Yes. I am. I need the Holy Spirit. I need Jesus. I need the full, full measure of his resurrected work, all of it, right? And so, so you need to be thinking about the various things that you spend time on. And again, the younger you begin to think about this concept, what am I cultivating? Um, One of the most heartbreaking things is I have a couple of different friends uh, who I think are just great people, and if they were willing to adopt a 44-year-old, I'd I'd sign the papers. I'm 44, by the way. And so, but they're estranged from one of their children in such a way that there is no contact whatsoever. And this is, and just so you think, this is, I know at current at least six different families in this category. And it is just, I can't get my head around it. But something got cultivated somewhere along the way that caused a riff and has been further cultivated to maintain the distance. Yes? And so it begins very young. So parents, teach your children how to cultivate, how to think through the various things. Don't just necessarily say no and say, well, because I'm a beastly tyrant, and I said no, I don't got to explain nothing to you, you twerp. I lived through the 80s. Uh, <laughs> um, and so, so let, us, let us together cultivate good things and ask good questions and not try to make a new law because different things work for different people. Uh, some of you, uh, my wife, can listen to uh, Kendrick Lamar, NWA, and is, it, she doesn't want to beat anybody up. She doesn't, she doesn't want to hurt anyone. She, doesn't, she still loves the police. She, it doesn't affect her. It just doesn't. And I know that's slightly comical, but you could apply it to lots of different things, right? Um, how much of our view of sexuality is shaped, for those of you who remember the show, by Will and Grace, and for many of you, it's being shaped by Modern Family. And in fact, the lead actor on Modern Family has said that's exactly what they intended to do is normalize. I have a professor, Bill Davis, uh, who's one of my favorite professors, says always watch for the normalization to come through entertainment, usually comedy first. That's usually the tip of the spear uh, for cultivating some sort of cultural norm or change. And so we, we only have so much time. We are but a shadow in the scheme of things. 
Our life is a mist. It is a smoke that goes away so quickly, as we're going to hear from the text. And, and at the end of that, what do you want to say that you had mastered? That you could, you, you could destroy people at Harry Potter trivia. I, I want you all to know how grand a saint I am. No, sarcasm. So, did you hear that? That's sarcasm. I don't believe that, by the way. But a friend of mine was recently diagnosed with breast cancer, and, and the news was uh, incredibly bad. And the Lord has been so gracious, the news has only gotten better, but there's still, she's still, as she said yesterday, it's the beginning of the process. Well, Amber loves Harry Potter. And there was a Harry Potter event yesterday in Woodstock, and she wanted to come up and go, and that meant we probably had to go with them. And I told her, I said, Amber, only because you dang near died and I love you am I going to this to be a muggle or a squib or whatever it is. I don't, really, I don't even understand. I may have spoken tongues. And so, and so, uh, so there's, 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 <laughs> there's things that we, we cultivate and things that matter. And there's things that we ought to ask good questions about because the time, the time is fleeting. And so what do we want to have cultivated? Um, I took a class, Robbie and I did, uh, don't get excited, it doesn't mean I'm any better at this, but I took an advanced counseling class this past week. And the thing I got most from it, uh, it's a guy named Jim Cofield, Dr. Jim Cofield, um, is I genuinely walked away wanting to be a better human being. Uh, and, um, and, and a better shepherd, and to do better what the Lord has called me to do, not because of praise for myself, but because the time is fleeting and there's so much that is so broken with this world. And so many of you, you have so, such things of such great gravity to trust us with those things. is just amazing. So let's be good cultivators. And don't hear me say you've got to add a bunch of extra stuff to your life. What I would suggest to you is assess what you currently have, right? Uh, walk through and kind of look at, hey, here's where I'm spending my time. Here's what I'm investing in. Here's what I know most about. And is that, is that where, where I want to have invested so much? And how is that shaping me as a person? And what should I then do with that, right? Um, and so this is God going to be confronting the people. This is his last confrontation before the grand love letter of chapter 14. And he's basically going to say to them, what are you cultivating? I came to you as redeemer, but you are cultivating beastly tyrants. I came to you to give you uh, freedom from the grave, and you cultivate a fruitless death. Why would you do that? Why would you do that when you know better, when you've been shown better, when there's so much greater in store for us? And so as this complaint unfolds, I want you to be thinking about, and we'll look at um, which of those things are we cultivating in our own lives. So if you would give your attention to the reading of God's word, this is Hosea chapter 13, verses four through nine. Micah, there is a ringing. Is there a ringing? Does everybody hear that? The slight ring? No? Okay, it's in my head. We'll continue on. <laughs> but I am the Lord your God from the land of Egypt. You know no God but me. And besides me, there is no Savior. It was I who knew you in the wilderness, in the land of drought. But when they had grazed, they became full. They were filled and their hearts were lifted up. Therefore, they forgot me. 
So I am to them like a lion, like a leopard. I will lurk beside the way. I will fall upon them like a bear robbed of her cubs. I will tear open their breasts and there I will devour them like a beast as a wild beast would rip them open. He destroys you, O Israel, for you are against me, against your helper. Now, how many times has God returned to the Exodus event to try to get the attention of his people to say to them, remember, remember, and, and Matt did a great job of challenging you all last week to make sure that you take time to remember the good things of God, the times where he has delivered, the times where he has blessed, the times where he has given that you didn't deserve. It was just grace and times he gave mercy when you deserved punishment. Remember, this is not simple math. The Exodus is the great event where these people did nothing to earn his favor. And yet, he said, come out, come out of darkness. Come out, come out of slavery and worship me in, in your presence in the wilderness. You get to be before the creator God and see him and enjoy him and be loved by him. That is the Exodus event. And as he says, if I'm not your savior... If the, if the creator of the universe is not your savior, as the book of Hebrews asks the question of Christ, well, then who's coming next? What greater Superman are you waiting for? If God is insufficient for you, what greater God could there be? Now think about how they answered that question. They chose to worship Baal, who required, by the way, is not a God, but as it was written, required of them sacrifice of their children, um, sexuality outside the bonds of marriage. Um, it required of them great cutting and sacrifice and self-mutilation. As Robbie said so eloquently a few sermons ago, how in the world is that a better trade than, hey, love the Lord your God and love your neighbor? No, 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 no. I'd rather cut myself with pot sheards and kill my first kid. Right? That's what they chose. And how many times are we making a similar exchange? No, 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 Lord. I know you've called us to do certain things. But I think what I'd like to do is I'd like to let my kid choose. He's a blank slate. I don't want to teach him anything. I'm just going to let him, let the world shape him. I'm going to hand him this little screen and let everything that comes in have its say. That's fair, right? That's how we should do it. No, it is not. That is to sacrifice your children um, to the new great God, Google, or whoever you want to call it, or Amazon, whoever is taking over the world. And so, and so we are not cultivating as we ought, and they didn't either because they chose a God who, first of all, doesn't exist, and what he requires of them is such destruction and sacrifice the Lord our God has never required. In fact, he submitted the fullness of the sacrifice needed in order to deliver us. What a great God we have. Why would we look for another? Why would we long for a, a, a less loving, less loving us wild Savior? It's a question he's putting before them. And what's interesting is how he answers the question. He says, um, uh, basically, that um, as they grew fat, as, after he had delivered them, as they prospered, they forgot him. Americans, 
and I think I speak to most of you. Does this sound familiar at all? Has our prosperity not dictated and changed how we view God and how we've hijacked him for our cause and how we at times have said working on Sunday is far more important than getting together with God's people and and how we've said that me making sure I have enough is better than making sure the church has any because I don't trust you but you can't do anything to me because I hold all the cards because I'm a finite being. I don't know if you've noticed. Again, sarcasm. And so how often have we, in the same way, let our prosperity change how we view the Lord our God instead of being a people of great, great humility and gratitude for all that we have. I think about my brothers and sisters who have to endure what they're enduring in places like Iraq and Syria and China and Iran and uh, uh, Canada. Um, that was a joke, kind of. Uh, kind of. Um, and so, so think about how difficult it is for some, and yet we, we are, are just so fat and so happy and so just, just negligent, and God is just, he's, again, Use him only in case you need him. He sits on the shelf instead of being something that we are interacting with in a relational way as he so longs. You understand he longs to be in relationship with us. He longs to interact with us. And you may be saying, dude, I have a really hard time talking to invisible people. I have a really hard time reading a book that is that stinking long. I have a really hard time reading history. I have a really hard time reading supernatural things. I have a really hard time hanging out with other people that the only thing we got going for each of us is we call ourselves Christian. They're so different than me. They don't love the things I love. They don't love the way I love. They don't do the things I like to do. Why would I, why would I do this? And yet God longs for us to relate to him. And so they got fat, they got happy just like we are prone to do and so often do, and they forgot him. And so he responds to them, and he uses uh, four different images that many of you may remember actually from the book of Daniel. And this is why he's essentially asking the question, do you want me to relate to you as a redeeming savior, or do you want me to relate to you through the beastly tyrants? You choose. Because if you are unwilling to relate to me as redeeming Savior, then all that is left for you that the world has to offer to you is death and destruction. Now, think about who he's talking to. Remember, they've had at least about 100, probably by now, 180, 190 years of horrific political situations. We have nothing on them. From Jeroboam the first all the way down, the kings have been horrible. And we're going to hear that actually in the second section. And, and they've killed each other, and they have, been, um, they have been void of any care for the people. They've been void of any care for the coming generations. All they've done is offer false worship and, and sacrifice and destruction. And so what God is saying to them is he's saying basically, okay, if you don't want to deal with me as redeeming Savior, then what you will deal with me as is as a leopard, as a lion, as a bear, and I think it's very interesting that he makes the qualifications whose cubs have been taken from her. You do understand that this is where God's wrath and fury is still yet relational. I want you to pay attention here. Everybody, clue back in, zone back in. 
God is so, um, uh, so amazingly loving and parental. This is why his fury looks as it does, because his children are being taken from him. They're being taken and separated from him by the ways of the world and by their own choices. Who among you would not rise up and make great noise if someone you could see someone dragging your child away physically? You're not going to stand there and be like, well, you know, it's fate. I ate a fortune cookie the other day and it said I'd lose one, so here it is. No, you would fight tooth and nail. Even if you don't have a good relationship with your child, you would fight. In fact, children, listen, some of why you see at times such fury in your parents and such, such difficulty is they love you so much and they know, they know the way that oftentimes will lead you to destruction and yet they don't quite know how to communicate it to you as sometimes they ought and you ought to be gentle and gracious to your parents because so much of it is because they love you and want better for you. Some of it is arrogance. Some of it is pride. Let the Lord deal with that. Love your parents as you are called so that it will go along with you in the land. And so here God, like a mother bear whose cubs have been taken from her, he will um, bring the rain, wreck shop, however you want to frame that. He will destroy to try to get his children back. In fact, he gives up his own son to retrieve his children back to him. And so in these images, what we see, and think about how when he does judge uh, his children, it oftentimes is through a pagan leader. One of these beasts just is named by Daniel in Daniel chapter 7. And so don't miss that. And it's not how he wants to deal with them. He destroys you, O Israel, for you are against me. Listen to what he says. Against your helper. He doesn't want to tear us apart. He doesn't want to hurt us, but he's willing to because he loves us if it will save us. You will wound in order to save And what a great gift that we have a God who's willing to do that, who is not so concerned with his own glory that he would not chase hard after his children. That he would not, just as the one does in the story of the prodigal son, pull up his garment, which, by the way, to pull up your garment to run was quite provocative in their culture. And to run out and to meet that son who had squandered everything, who had said basically, I wish you were dead so I could have all that I have, who blew it on riotous living. He runs to him and he makes sure that his sin is covered, that he will not walk in shame and guilt back through town. And instead, he throws a party. Who of you wouldn't do that after your child had departed and them come home? One of the beautiful things about the wedding this past week, which was on Saturday, by the way. I wasn't just skipping church for wedded bliss. Uh, it was on Saturday, and, and we, uh, we had a great time. And what, what an overwhelming um, experience for Susan and I to, to, um, to just be able to stand in a place where there had been so much wreckage and so much lost and so much blood shed and so much said that didn't need to be said. And yet be called father. Not stepdad, as I've been called many times, which is true, by the way. And not be called Cameron, which is also true. 
but not in this case. It's not all that I am, but to be called Father and be asked to pray, um, what an amazing thing. What an amazing thing. And so, listen to what Charles Simeon says about this passage. He says, In the passage before us, the prophet, having represented the ten tribes as increasingly shameless in their idolatries, declares from God that they shall pass away like the morning cloud or early dew, and that like chafe from a threshing floor or smoke from a chimney, they shall be scattered as with a whirlwind over the face of the whole earth. But still... As though God repented of denouncing so heavy a judgment against them, he addresses them with tender pity. Yet I am the Lord thy God from the land of Egypt, and thou shalt not shall know no God before me, for there is no Savior beside me. That is, I can never forget the relation which I bear towards thee, and I am as willing as ever to bestow on thee all the blessings of salvation. If only thou wilt banish from thee those rivals which have provoked me to jealousy. So the Lord our God, after being so maligned, so forgotten, he's been so patient, 190 some odd years, and even before that, by the way, but for this people. So let me ask you, would you prefer to deal with God as a redeeming Savior or through the form of a beastly tyrant to be torn apart? And you may say, you have set the question well, my friend. That's a false binary. Those aren't our only choices. No, they are actually here. And if the creator God says they're your only choices, no, they in fact are your only choices. You will not deal with him as anything other than redeeming savior, father, or beastly tyrant, judge. Those are your options for dealing with the Lord your God. And so, which would you prefer? And a better question is, which of those are you cultivating? Right? So, with how you're living, which of those are you cultivating? Um, and and this, is, this is a very important question because you're cultivating one or the other. Again, remember, nothing is neutral. And again, to use myself, as I listen to rap music, I am cultivating a beastly tyrant. Right? All rap music's not bad. We have Lecrae and um, Triple and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But what are you cultivating? What are you watching? What are you reading? What are you, why are you doing it? It's not that it's bad to look at things that are dark necessarily if you're doing it for the purpose of engaging and cultivating, but you've got to keep a close watch on your heart and your mind. And are you cultivating knowing the Lord your God? Are you cultivating knowing the the great love that he has for you such that you remember? Where are you spending time? As Matt challenged you all last week, and you've been challenged before, where are you taking time to remember the goodness of God? Because I can tell you it's easy to lose the narrative. It's easy to forget, isn't it? And then the last is what role are the means of grace playing in this process? It's funny, I hear people all the time say, you know, I just, I don't have time for, for Bible study. Oh, really? That's fascinating. Um, I don't have time for prayer. Okay. I understand. I, I mean, we're busy people. I've lit the candle at both ends, doused it in gasoline, and burned the whole thing down myself. I know. 
But it's fascinating that you also are able to tell me who the 26th draft pick is for, from the NBA for the, the Brooklyn Nets, who are not going to win a championship probably in the next three decades. Or you can tell me all of this information about a story or a thing. I mean, I'm fascinated by how stories linger. Harry Potter's 20 years old. You can, like if I were to misquote, there's some of you, if I'm like, oh, you're such a squib, you'd be like, that's not don't even know what you're talking about. It's so stupid. Um, But if I quote Ephesiastes, you're like, yeah. That's, yes, Lord said that. Um, I'm not, no, I'm not just being mean to Harry Potter people, but put it in perspective, okay? Uh, I mean, some of you can tell me the difference between a, 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 a Gosa and a Sauer and a Berlin Weisser, and you can, the notes, you can, uh, you, oh, this little bit of sawdust and cherries or whatever it is. You can, you can discern that, but you cannot discern truth. It's not better. What are we cultivating? Um, are we cultivating a relationship with God as redeeming Savior? Are we leaving him no room but to come upon us some point with beastly tyrants? And even that is redemptive. Let's turn back to the text and see the conclusion of chapter 13, verses 10 through 16. Give your attention again to the reading of God's word. Where now is your king to save you in all your cities? Where are all your rulers, those of whom you said, give me a king and princes? I gave you a king in my anger. And I took him away in my wrath. The iniquity of Ephraim is bound up. His sin kept in store. The pangs of childbirth come for him. But he is an unwise son. For the right time, he does not present himself at the opening of the womb. Shall I ransom them from the power of Sheol? Shall I redeem them from death? O death, where are your plagues? O Sheol, where is your sting? Compassion is hidden from my eyes. Though he may flourish among the brothers, the east wind, the wind of the Lord shall come, rising from the wilderness, and his fountain shall dry up. His spring shall be parched. It shall strip his treasury of every precious thing. Samaria shall bear her guilt, because she has rebelled against her God. They shall fall by the sword. Their little ones shall be dashed in pieces, and their pregnant women ripped open. Now, what a horrible place to end a sermon What a horrible place to end the book of Hosea, and they don't praise God. What a horrible place if the Bible ended there, right? But it doesn't. In fact, what's amazing and beautiful, and one of the reasons that we read 1 Corinthians 15 is so that you would know the answer to the question, right? Jesus' resurrection answers the question posed in Hosea 13. Oh, death, where is your sting? It is no more because Christ is risen from the dead. And so the question for us is, are we going to cultivate a fruitless death, a meaningless life? Or or are we going to cultivate resurrected lives walking in newness of life? I think that we've grown unimpressed with the resurrection. I think that, you know, I was talking to somebody, Matt Howe, who's going through deacon training, and he's doing a great job, and he's still in it, by the way, and he'll probably be ordained sometime in October, November. Um, but we were talking about the resurrection, and I said, Matt, what if, what if I could, what if you knew a guy that rose from the dead? Would that impress you? He said, heck, yeah, that would impress me. 
And, and what, how would you think about that guy? He, he'd be the best guy you knew. He'd be the most awesome guy you knew because he conquered death. Because that's the thing we all fear. That's the great limiting factor. As much as you want to do, death will have its say. As much as you amass in this life, somebody else is going to do something with it. Ecclesiastes and the Psalms tell us that. So all that doing of what we do to forget the Lord our God as we grow fat and happy is meaningless. And so, so Matt, and Matt saw the trap that I laid for him as I then moved on into, well, Jesus has done that, and I hope you know him. Uh, and so we were just unimpressed by that because, okay, Jesus rose from the dead. Fine. Romans 6, got it. Not only did he rise from the dead, but do you understand that he's applied it to you? You no longer chase the clock. Clock is no longer Pharaoh to you. Death has no sting for you. You will be delivered from Sheol, as the psalmist said, as Christ promised, as has been declared. You understand? And that ought to move us to something that makes us come in week after week with some measure of expectation. And it ought to make us look at our lives and say, what of this is of the resurrection and what of this is death? What am I cultivating here? And notice how he says to him, he says, you guys asked for kings. I gave you one long ago named Saul. You begged for him. You wanted him to be like all the other nations. You wanted him to be beautiful. And he was. And I even gave you the opportunity to be obedient. I gave you a prophet. I gave you the word. I, the spirit was even upon Saul. You understand? There was no thing that they didn't have that they couldn't have leveraged for their own good. And yet, what did they do? They squandered it all. So what happened to Saul? He struck him down. And think about the rascal who came after him. Oh, wait, that was David, God's man, who also lost the narrative for a while and yet was still a man after God's own heart. And think of all of the kings that they begged for. Jeroboam the first. We want our own kingdom. We want the ten tribes to be out from under the Davidic covenant because that was terrible. Because we know we can do it ourselves. We're starting to sound like 15-year-olds. Bad place to start. And that's what the text says, basically, is you are immature. It is your time to be born and grow, and yet what do you do? Refuse to be newborn. Safe, you think, in the womb. This is one of the reasons why he highlights the horrible reality that the Assyrians would often, in killing pregnant women, would rip them open to destroy their child. And so this is what he's saying. If you basically, if you think that you can stay quartered safe, immature, provided for, you can't. There's no neutrality here. It must come to pass, either beautifully, salvifically, or violently. You choose. Choose to say whom you will serve. I will either be your savior or I will be your tyrant. You will either die a fruitless death or you will walk in the resurrection and newness of life. The answer to this beautiful question, oh, death, where is your sting? 
And so, fortunately, the book does not end there. And the beautiful thing is, even though he's posed the question to them, even though he's put it before them, as he has put it before us, we don't, and praise God, have the final say. Notice, and I'm going to read ahead a little bit, give you a little taste for next week. Notice what he's going to say. He's going to say, I will heal their apostasy. I will love them freely. (laughs) Not because of anything they do, but because of who he is as the creator God and longs for his, even his judgment to be redemptive before it is anything else. Amen? Even a few Presbyterians can say, amen? The Baptists among us, amen? Charismatics, we have any of those? Don't don't call yourself out. So what would it look like for us to cultivate, to cultivate the resurrected life? Instead of a fruitless death, I I can tell you uh, one of the great things that haunt us is meaninglessness. It just haunts us. It's part of why we struggle so much with mental illness. It's part of why we struggle so much with addiction. It's part of why we struggle to be good moms and dads because we just wonder, what's it worth? It's why we struggle to be good children. It's why we struggle to be good uh, church members. It's why we struggle to love one another well because what's the point? You're going to fail me. You're going to hurt me at some point. You're not going to live up to my expectations. Well, you're not God. And we are. We're going to hurt each other. We're not going to live up to each other's expectations. As Steve Brown often says, and he said it here, I think, the one time he preached, he's like, look, here's the truth. If you're visiting this morning, we're going to hurt you if you stick around long enough. We will. But, but if, you, if you can be forgiving and you can, you can hang in there long enough to trust us and see that we don't really want to hurt you, but it's just part of life in a fallen world, we will be the best family you're ever going to have, hopefully. Jim Cofield had a statement, which I think he uh, got from someone else. Uh, He said, look, if you join a church or get married for any other reason than to learn about forgiveness, you are going to be sorely disappointed. And I would add to that, if you join a church or get married to learn about anything other than the gospel and God's glory, you will be sorely disappointed, and I hope so. And what we ought to be cultivating is the resurrected newness of life. And so for some of you, again, I go back to Ron Swanson. Some of you may be hearing me say, he just said we got to go save China or something. He just said we got to sell all our stuff and give it to him because he just bought a new house. Uh, No, here's what I'm saying to cultivate the resurrected life, to cultivate God as redeeming Savior is to just look at what you currently are doing and have. And begin to take stock, not add in, into anything necessarily at this point, but try to leverage where you are, job, neighbor, family, etc. The Lord was so gracious at my table at the wedding. Um, Susan's niece was sitting next to me, and, and Nikki has come so far. And she's got two kids, and she's all tatted up and pierced, and uh, for some reason she likes me. I don't know why, uh, but she does, and she is working. So she just got her real estate license, and she's working so hard to be a good mama to those kids, but she just 
it's still a process. And I told her, I said, Nikki, I am so proud of you, how far you've come. And, and, and I know you've got a long way to go, but, but golly, you've come so far. You're only 29. Think about if you right now begin to cultivate the resurrected life in, in, in 14 years, you could be light years ahead of me because I didn't start cultivating it much at 29. You have so much to look forward to and so much still left that is good and nothing, nothing you have done keeps you away from the banquet table. And it just, you could just tell it meant the world to her because not many people tell her that and she is at war with her sister and she doesn't have a great relationship with her mom and dad and it's, it's a mess. And her little son, Christian, we're their godparents, by the way, so I need you to pray that she lives to 150 uh, <laughs> but little Christian just, he, again, many of you are thinking, I don't know why small children and animals like you. Well, it's because they either don't know better, they do know better, and you don't know better. Um, and, but, uh, but he just loves me, and, uh, and, and as does her daughter, Allie. And, um, but what, what a great opportunity to encourage her to cultivate the resurrected life and to encourage. And so how could we do that for each other? How could we do a better job? here at Christ Community Church, of really helping each other cultivate, not spying on each other and not saying, you know, uh, messing with people like, oh, did you just say Daenerys Targaryen? Because that means you're watching Game of Thrones. Uh, <laughs> which I've never seen, by the way. Maybe. I don't know. Have I? Anyway. Uh, and so it's just First and Second Kings. Uh, anyway, uh, but let's, let's, not, let's not, let's be genuinely concerned for our souls and our lives and help each other to walk in light of the resurrection and build each other up instead of just engaging in all this fruitless death and meaninglessness. Let us be born again. Let us mature. Let us grow up into the fullness of the stature of Christ because of all that he has given to us. Amen. There's no good resource if we don't have. I look out uh, 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 at you, and you have so many resources to offer one another. You have no earthly idea of what's around you. And you may say, well, if you'd have more picnics, you would talk to the same people you talked to at the last picnic. And if I try to force you, you're going to get mad at me and go find a church where you're not forced to do stuff. It's not the stuff that we offer. It's what you do. It's going to be, are you hospitable? Are you breaking out of some of the comfort zone that you've come to know? Are you willing to be vulnerable? Are you willing to share your broken cup with someone else? Because I can't tell you how many people, when they find out, hey, your kid got a DUI? Mine did too. Hey, you, you take medication for depression and anxiety? I do too. You, you, you struggle with infertility? I do too. You, you, you are broken sexually? Me too. And yet, encourage each other in light of the resurrection to walk in newness of life. What could this place be? What could we be as a church? And I don't, I'm not trying to I mean, adding people to an already not healthy situation is not wise. Right? I'm not saying we're unhealthy, but are we healthy? 
Are we there? Are we to a place where we're hospitable? You're going to hear about hospitality in two weeks from Romans 12 after Hosea and before we start Colossians. So warning, we're going to talk about hospitality. Many of you are like, ooh, it looks like I'm going to be in Jasper that Sunday. <laughs> but how, how do we love each other better? And how do we encourage each other in this to the Savior instead of the beastly tyrant, to newness of life instead of a fruitless death? How do we help the next generation do this well? So what do we learn from Hosea 13, 4 through 16? We learn that God's going to deal with us either as a redeeming Savior or through beastly tyrants. That's it. That's all you got. Ain't no other Superman coming. And he will either... He'll either, uh, we will either die a fruitless death or we will walk in resurrected newness of life. That's pretty much it. That is pretty much it. And so we need to be thinking about cultivating an intentionality in those areas. And we need to help each other to grow in those areas because it's hard. This is hard. The Christian life is hard. I don't know where we ever came up with, you know, it's better, it's simpler. No, it is not. You actually have to love people who are unlovely. Have you tried to do that recently? You you have to to love your enemy. You have to turn your cheek, turn your cheek. You have to deal with bones that will break. The God who gives and the God who takes away. Where is that easy? Nowhere. And we need each other. And we need each other to strengthen that which is weak in each of us. Amen? I'm going to pray for us. We have one more song. Um, And then I want to pray. Uh, I'm going to make all the introverts in the room incredibly uncomfortable, so I want you to prep yourself. Uh, You know, it's that Babylon B. the, The church offers introvert service where no one has to interact with anyone else. We're not offering that this morning. And so we're going to take time to pray for our teachers and our students. Uh, as they go back to school this week and next, and we'll pray for college students in a couple of weeks. But uh, so let me pray for us. We have one more song. Um, and sing, sing with vigor. Sing as people who have been redeemed, even if even if it doesn't feel like it so much this morning. Uh, sing as as one who would like for that to be true of you. Let's pray, Father. Thank you for the answer to the question, O death, where is your sting? It is lost in Christ, and may we walk in resurrected newness of life. May the fact that a man rose from the dead and has imputed and given that to us in full, may we walk in light of that fullness and that beauty, and may that humble us. Help us to love each other in a way that just reeks of newness of life, that just gives off the aroma of the gospel, that just just reflects the glory of God. God, thank you that you want to be a relational Savior, our Abba Father. You don't want to deal with us in anger or wrath or judgment, but you will if it's what's needed. And thank you for that too. Thank you for the stroke that falls in discipline. May we receive it and and, and remember from whom it comes and its purpose. God, thank you that we get to relate to you. Uh, We get to come boldly before the throne of grace. May we do that this morning and do it in the days ahead to receive both mercy and grace in the times of trouble that we all find ourselves in. God, help us to be vulnerable with, with each other because we have been laid bare before you. And there is nothing that keeps us from you. And there's nothing that keeps us from redemption 
in Christ. No sin separates us that Christ cannot overcome. And we, we have not been overcome. God, help us this morning to love you and love our neighbors in a way that displays to the world something worth seeing, a story worth hearing, and a story worth telling. We pray for this in Christ's name. Amen.